Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast, where our mission is to provide woodworking education for all levels and all types of woodworkers. To find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, visit us on the web at modernwoodworkersassociation.com or follow us on Twitter at NWA underscore national. Now to our host, Tom Iovino, Diami Palatki, and yours truly, Chris Adkins. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the 54th edition of the Modern Woodworkers Association online discussion about all things woodworking. Today's special guest, well, we're going to torpedo today's special guest, and they will feel the sting from us uh, because what they're doing is completely underhanded and totally just awful. Um, but before we get to the roasting, um, let me introduce you to the usual panel. I'm Tom Iavino of Tom'sWorkbench.com, and I'll be your host of the program. Joining me tonight also from frigid cold Long Island, New York, is Diami Palaki. Diami, how you doing? I'm doing well, Tom. I'm inside. I'm warm. I got a sweatshirt on. I'll be all right. Yeah, welcome to summer up north. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is you were freezing outside earlier at a baseball game. I am sitting in my shop right now where it's 89 degrees. So uh, we're getting the extremes. The person in the middle, however, <laughs> who would normally moderate this, um, his name, Chris Atkins, isn't with us tonight. That bum is out traveling. So it's going to be the two of us. Chris will be missed, but somehow we'll make do. We'll somehow figure something out. But in the meantime, Diami, tell me what's on your bench. What's going on in your shop? Well, um, in the shop, I just got my new planer set up. There's a planer I picked up from Steve Taylor down in Virginia, uh, Torch 2 on the Twitters, Torch yep. 2 He's uh, he's shipping off to Germany, I believe, on the 1st. It's very soon, if not exactly the 1st, then, then very oh soon. Oh, Glock, I can't believe that. I know. We're going to miss him. Uh, he's going to be there for, I think he's going to be there for three years plus. I think that's what the time frame was. I talked to him about it. Clearly, I, I paid attention. Um, I like the way you do that. Yeah. That's very <laughs> special about you, Diami. Yeah. He had to basically get rid of most of his shop before he shipped off um, for shipping reasons, for the fact that it was all 110. He's going to a, two, a land of 220 and, and many reasons like that. And something about the Hertz. Even the 220 apparently was the wrong Hertz for uh, their, their 220. The Hertz Hertz. Yeah. I tell you. Um, so... Anyway, I was lucky enough to pick up his planer, so I've got a nice new 15-inch Grizzly in the shop. Um, Holy smokes! It's a beast. Uh, it was it was quite the uh, quite the effort to get it in and out of the van, but well, I'm sure that's a lot. Of, that's to... a lot of iron right there. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of planer, and I had to, I I posted pictures when I was doing it. I had to build this this ramp, and it wasn't so hard at Steve's because the ramp was steep, but I used a come along to pull it up into the van. But I knew there was no way I would get it out of the van without breaking it if I had to ramp that that steep. So I ended up extending the ramp. The ramp was about, I don't know, 12 or 15 feet long to get from the bumper of a normal van to my shop floor at this at, at lower pitch as possible. But it worked out, and I got the planer, and I've rewired the outlets and stuff so that it, it fits. I mean, I had the 220. It's 220. But, I, you know, there's a million different 220 outlets. Oh, sure. And plugs. So the ones Steve had, of course, are not the ones I use, so I switched that over. But now it's up and running, and I got a couple of boards on my bench that I'm just testing out some different dies on because I have to fix a clock and have to match the finish. So, you know, isn't that always the funnest part of a project is matching somebody else's finish? Mm, yeah, I'd much rather start from scratch, I'll yeah. tell you. You know, I've, I've, had people, I've had people say, well, you know, maybe you should try, you know, seeing if you can match. No, I'd rather start from scratch for you. Problem is it's a, it's a 90-ish year old clock. Nothing too fancy, thankfully, but it's 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 curved and it's got a, a bell shape to it, and it's it's a it's an heirloom to the people who own it, and they they've got this nice little nick in the front, and it's veneered, and it's this really dark brown, almost black. So I'm thinking I can just patch this little bit, and I I promise them I wouldn't make it worse. <laughs> That's you know what they say, the Hippocratic or the first thing, do no harm. Yeah. So yeah. 
So you definitely want to start with yeah. that. Um, what do you got yeah, going well, on in your shop? Well, actually... Are you your know, tools melting in the heat? They're not melting yet. I mean, we've got a few more months to go before we actually get into the I can't believe it's I'm still alive and breathing phase of the summer here in Florida. Um, but we're actually in prime season for me at work. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm an emergency management communications person. Um, and here on the Gulf Coast of Florida, the big emergency we, we prepare people for is hurricane season. And that's coming up on uh, Sunday, June 1st. We'll be entering the Atlantic phase of the hurricane season, which will be six months of fun and excitement. Um, <laughs> so as we as we wait to see what happens, uh, I remember a couple of years ago going up to New York and actually me seeing you be on me yes. at, your, uh, at your house um, after Hurricane Sandy. Um, so, you know, the kind of stuff that we just have to get ready for and uh, you know, it's funny because you know now's a really good time to remind people. I think you know, I think maybe the first part of our little podcast tonight might be a, a, a candid discussion about you know disasters and shops. Um, because, I think that's you know, a good good topic. The, the the timing is right, and it's and it's one of those situations where you know we're we're in the summer. People are starting to think, well, you know, I'm going to go on vacation for a little bit, maybe the shop. Um, you see a lot of things with uh, heavy rains in certain areas, a lot of flooding in certain areas. Um, of course, anybody in the Gulf Coast or the Atlantic Coast uh, understands the threat that's posed by hurricanes. Um, hurricane season is already underway in the Pacific as well. So anybody in the western coast of Mexico, southern California, um, you get into uh, the Hawaiian Islands, um, the, the threat's there as well. So anywhere else around the world, you know, there's always the potential. So I don't want to just uh, limit us to the, uh, to the Americans. Um, well, you know, there, there's a couple things you have to think about when you're getting ready for disasters for your shop. You try to disaster-proof your shop. And the first thing you got to think about is you got to know what the risks are. Um, you know, it's funny. You know, you, you think, well, wherever you live, there's no risk, right? Um, but, you know, wherever you live, there's always something. Um, you know, I, I, it's funny. My, my mom told me I was nuts for moving to Florida because of all the hurricanes. She's up in New Jersey. And um, since then, they've had to, you know, they've had Hurricane Sandy and Hurricane Irene and Hurricane Floyd and Hurricane. So you go down the list of these hurricanes that affected the East Coast. So while they think Florida is the one that's most vulnerable, they've still been hit. So, um, so you know, hurricanes are out there. But I mean, if you live in the Midwest, there's always tornadoes. Um, in, in the West Coast or some other areas, it's It's very. Uh, there's earthquake prone. Um, right. So you know, so understanding what your risks are. Plus, anybody can have a shop fire. Anybody can have a burglary. And that would be yeah. a disaster because, you know, your stuff goes missing. You know, somebody could break in and start taking your tools. And that's really not good. I know a lot of people have a lot of money invested in clamps and other tooling. So um, so the first thing is you have to understand what your risk is. You know, know what's out there. The next thing you want to do is, you know, you want to understand what you've got. Um, you know, I, I, how long have you been woodworking, Diami? Oh, let's say 15 years, something like okay, so that. So I've been roughly the same amount of time. And over those 15 years, it's taken a long time to accumulate what you had in the shop, right? It just didn't Absolutely. show up one day in the back of a truck. Um, so what happens is, you know, when you accumulate things over 15 years, and you get a tool here and a tool there, and you replace an old tool with a new one and all this other stuff. Um, but, you know, what happens is most insurance policies, homeowners insurance policies and renters insurance policies will cover your contents. Um, but they're not going to replace anything that you can't prove that you own. Um, it's kind of think of it this way, you know, you get the house fire, suddenly you tell the adjuster, oh, I've got that big 70-inch plasma TV in the living room. They're, they're going to want to see some sort of evidence before they buy you a brand new one. So before you go to the insurance agent and say, oh, look, I've got that Powermatic 2000 saw sitting out there, you want to have some evidence that at some point you actually own something like that. So a shop inventory is a really simple and mm. important thing to do. And, you know, the beauty about, you know, today... I'm assuming you want to back it up. Oh, you want to back up that inventory with, with photos, not just a list? Oh, 
Exactly. And the funny thing is, you know, now in 2014 with smartphones everywhere, there are so many applications on smartphones that will help you inventory a room. It's ridiculously easy. Um, you know, you could write down, you, know, you could always do it the traditional way, just write down what tools you have, the models, the serial numbers, things like that. If you still have the receipts, staple them to them. What if um, you kind of found them on the back of a truck? Well, you know, there's that too. I'm, I'm just but even in that case, there. you could get the model and serial number. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. Um, another thing people do is they, is they can go around and take pictures. Um, mm -hmm. Now, in the digital uh, camera age, um, you don't spend the money to develop the film and hopefully, you know, you hope you got the shots. Oh, speaking um, of that for a second, Tom, this is a little divergent, but could I borrow your Laguna 14 SUV and just, just for a couple photos? Sure, why not? We'll just ship it up there. Actually, I'll take a picture of it and you can Photoshop it and you That's probably and, what we should not do in the case of this, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm only... not advocating insurance fraud here. Just let's, let's make sure, let's make that clear. This is not an advocation for, uh, for uh, yeah, insurance fraud. But again, the, the, the trick is to take pictures of things you actually own in your shop. And, and, and the thing is, you know, like if you have stuff stored in drawers, like drill bits and chisels and things like that, open them up and take pictures of that as well. Because, yeah. you know, all these things, it adds up. You know, buying a new set of chisels can easily run you 200 bucks if you're going to buy a real high-end set. So if you did mm. invest in a high-end set, you want to get a picture of this. Um, the other thing you got to remember is that stuff is stuff. Okay, stuff is stuff. So don't ever find don't don't ever let me find you saying I'm going to stay behind in the shop to protect my things from the hurricane, the flood, from the fire. No, no, stuff is stuff. You started this world with nothing in your possession. You leave with nothing in your possession. The stuff that you have in your shop is completely replaceable. My uh, my neighbors had a house fire um, in 2004 and they lost everything. Um, if you go to the house today, 10 years later, it's the show place of the neighborhood because everything was able to be replaced. Um, but they weren't there at the house when it burnt because they were out on vacation, but pure dumb luck. Wow. So the idea being that you don't want to be where the disaster is going to be. You want to be away from it, saving yourself, because everything else can be replaced. Tools, wood, everything. So don't stay behind and try to protect anything. If it's so, gone, it's gone. Just understand that. There's a reason why we buy insurance. In the case of a weather event where you're going to be evacuated, something like that, mm -hmm. the trick then is... Make sure you have your inventory, and that's really the only thing you need to take. And you don't yeah, worry, really. don't I mean, spend time worrying about the shop. Certainly, don't stay for the shop. Just get your ass out of there so you stay safe. Yeah, definitely. And you know the funny thing about the apps, and you know, and with with Google Drive, and you know, Dropbox, and all this other stuff, you can upload all that stuff to the to the to the cloud, and um, you don't even have to worry about having the paper or copies of anything anymore. As long as you've got those things, you can scan them in, you can shoot them up to the cloud, retrieve them from anywhere. If you're, you know, staying with relatives four states over after the disaster, you can bring all that stuff up and show it to your insurance agent. And that's a good thing. Um, you know, again, what you want to do is you have some really simple things with disaster proofing your shop. Again, read your policy. It's be amazed how many people have to buy insurance because they have a mortgage, but they never read their policy. So they don't have any <laughs> idea what's covered. Uh, for most people in your home, unless you're running a business, um, out of your house with your tools, you're covered under your uh, homeowner's policy. So if you've got your chop, you got your chop saw, your table saw, your bandsaw, it's all covered under your homeowner's policy. Right, and if you are running that business, quite frankly, you should have insurance for that business. Business insurance as well, because if you're that's how you're putting bread on the table, you definitely want to have insurance so you can get back on yeah. your feet. One of, the, one of the key things to remember about disasters is any any business that goes through one. Typically, like it's like 60% of small businesses never reopen. They'll just no. close their doors and that's it. So if you want to beat the odds, make sure you have your insurance and your documentation. 
Absolutely. We saw that with, well, I'm sure you guys see it with your hurricanes too, but with Sandy, we saw a lot of small businesses that never came yeah, back. Yeah, just, you know, Katrina, Ike, I mean, you see it all over the place. And it's, and it's a sad thing because people have worked so hard all their lives to invest that money and then they lose everything and that's it. I mean, so again, you know, you need to have that plan in place. Now, some insurance companies, I understand, can actually, if you know there's a disaster coming, like a hurricane, gives us days of notice, may actually even pay you to move some of your equipment to a safer location. So wow. if you're down in an area that has to evacuate, check your policy because you may be entitled to money to move that tooling up to a storage unit high and dry. So if you can do that, that's a pretty easy way to, to take care of your, your tools. Um, also, anything with any really sentimental value that you can carry with you, identify that in advance. So, for instance, if you have your grandfather's plane, uh, a set of chisels that you, uh, you know, were given to you by somebody who took, you know, who, who took you under their wing, identify those tools and know where they are. So this way, make a list of the things you want to grab out of the shop. And, you know, I'm not saying grab everything, but just grab those things that are sentimental that mean the most to you. And be sure to leave with those. And then the rest of the stuff, just make sure you got good documentation on it. Listen, if you evacuate and you come back to your shop and it's all still there, so much the better. But if it does happen, if the disaster does befall you, you don't want to be there. Pick up the pieces afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. You come back, it's all there. No harm, no foul. Everything's just like it yeah, was. Yeah, seriously, go right back to work. You come back you know, and it's, it's all gone, you're still back. That's the important part. Yeah, yeah that's critical. Um. Kyle Barton, I wrote on, I wrote on my blog uh, a story of Kyle Barton, um, short bus woodworking. His uh, house got um, flooded by Hurricane Ike back in 2008. We actually took pictures, and I wrote a story, or a two-part story about it. Um, the funny thing about that was that I put that on my website when I was over at the uh, Governor's Hurricane Conference a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And Bill Reed, who was the Hurricane Center director at the time, read the articles. And he came up to me and said that was one of the most effective things that anybody had done in a long time for hurricane education because it showed here's what can happen. Here's what somebody did that was smart. They took care of all they could and then the case came back and, and, and restored everything afterwards. So again, right. it's, it's one of those things where you have to think, you know, think logically. Okay, don't think with your heart. You've got to think with your brain. You want to be safe yourself and then everything else's stuff that can be replaced. I thought you thought with that other thing that was neither your heart nor your Well, brain. there's other things that we think with, but not with hurricanes and fires and earthquakes and things okay, like so that. Okay, hur hurricanes equal think with your head. Think with this one. Gotcha. Think with the one up above the shoulders, okay? That's a, that's a good place to use that. I'm not going there. And I will tell you this. For people who have a potential to flood, and you know, one-third of all flood losses happen in low to moderate-risk areas, um, so, you know, 33% of all flood losses happen in these higher dry areas, supposedly. Um, your homeowner policy in the United States does not cover flooding. It hasn't no. since the late 60s. So if you are in an area that could potentially flood, and here in Florida we get rain like you wouldn't believe, flood insurance is going to be a critical component. Now, and if you're, in a, if you're in a low to moderate risk group, it's very inexpensive, maybe $300 a year. No, that's what I was going to say is I, you know, living on a tiny little island, I know, though thankfully I don't live in the flood zone. Um, sure. I do understand how very expensive it can be to have flood insurance when you do live on the water. But that being said, it was my understanding that if you're outside of the direct flood zone, the flood insurance is very, very cheap. And it's almost a no-brainer that you should get it because you, you get so many different ways you can flood that you don't expect. You know, and that's the thing. I mean, if the water rises, your insurance company is not going to pay out. 
And the thing is, I mean, when you think about something like Hurricane Katrina, there were people who didn't flood during Hurricane Camille in 1969, thought they were safe, decided not to buy flood insurance because how much worse can it be than Hurricane Camille? Well, Katrina pushed more water ashore and places that uh, hadn't flooded back in 1969 flooded in 2005. Um, I remember interviewing somebody who lived in, who got through both storms. She has her Hurricane Merit badge. She's, she's done. She doesn't have to do anymore. She's proved herself to me. Um, what happened was she didn't have flood insurance, and the only thing she was able to collect was about $10,000 in flood relief, in, in, in insurance relief, and that was it. Um, you know, $10,000 isn't going to be able to replace anything in your house. Um, no. So, so you know, definitely, uh, you know, if you're in a flood zone, you're definitely going to be required by your mortgage company to have it. If you're outside of a flood risk zone, an X zone, you're going to have to get going to have to consider flood insurance as something because it potentially could flood. The only place you can get flood insurance, except for a few places you can buy it outside, is at the, is the federal flood insurance program, which is at floodsmart.gov. And they have a little calculator on the front page. So if you can just click on it, put your address in, and it'll tell you what your zone in is and roughly what your, um, what your premium is going to be for the year. Um, so again, it's, it's a little bit of a tool. Then you buy it from your, insur your insurance broker. Um, there you have access to the line for the federal program. You don't call the Fed to do it. You do it locally through your insurance company. Right, and, and they'll but be able from, to set you up. From what I understand, talking to my broker, the, all flood insurance these days is going through the federal government. It's the Fed, yeah. The, the, the late 1960s, um, you know, there was there's a uh, the insurance companies managed to get a law passed where they were excluded because flood is a very repetitive risk. Um, you'll right. see homes along rivers, homes along lakes, homes along the ocean start to flood constantly. And they keep rebuilding the homes, and after a while, it became such a repetitive risk that they asked the federal government to pick up the cost. And um, basically, your premium goes to fund that. So that's how it works. The flood insurance program does that. And then if there's a flood on the Mississippi River or a flooding you know, from a hurricane in the Gulf, it'll pay out of that fund. Um, the other thing is if you rent, renter's insurance is a smart idea, too. I know some people rent homes where they've got a shop that, they, you know, it's, it's either in an outbuilding or someplace in the, in the home, or maybe they rent a house and they've got it in the garage or whatever. Renter's insurance is important, too, because the owner of the property has insurance for the structure. So if the place burns down, they'll get the place rebuilt, but your contents aren't covered under that policy. So the real thing you want to do is make sure you've got coverage for your contents. Runner's insurance is pretty inexpensive as well. Uh, it protects you from a lot of things. If somebody slips and falls in your house, you're protected with that. So I'm going to replace your contents, just like a homeowner's policy. It's just only contents. So, again, runner's right. insurance isn't, isn't the worst idea either. You can see I do this for a living. This is kind of fun. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, you know, I can't go back. I can't stress enough that your stuff is just stuff. I mean, I know it's it's near and dear to all of us. We're woodworkers. We love our craft, but it's just stuff. So mm. never put yourself in a place where you, you're going to risk your life to protect stuff, okay? Absolutely. Protect your family, yes, but you don't protect your stuff like that. That's important. Well said, Tom. Now I need to keep talking to the media tomorrow and keep getting ready for all this because hurricane season starts and we're going to be busy as you know we what? can. Um, you say hurricane season starts on June 1st? You got it. Runs to November 30th. Do you know what ends on June 1st? What, the winter? <laughs> flu season. Oh, flu season. What is that? Do another. <laughs> I'm doing some work at a hospital, and we can't start until June 1st because we can't, oh, veri we can't verify that we've all had our flu shot. So we can't actually get it. We're not allowed in the building to do work until flu season is over. 
on it's always Earth. it's always something, Dion. I mean, yeah. it's funny because here in Florida, you know, we we think hurricane, hurricane, hurricane. January through March is the most dangerous time in Florida for tornadoes. Really? I didn't know you got tornadoes. Really? We have a tornado season, and actually, you know, they get the cold fronts that cut all the way down to the Gulf, and we get some fairly strong tornadoes. Nothing like Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, nothing like that, but well, EF3, EF2 tornadoes come through. I know we started this conversation by saying that there are risks for everywhere, but yes. now at the end of this conversation, I'm thinking you might have more risks than most. Yeah, but I mean, you guys can still get hit by hurricanes and tornadoes up in New York. There was a tornado a couple years ago that went right through Brooklyn. There, oh, there are, but I I wouldn't say we have a, a tornado season. Spring. <laughs> Spring, honestly. When the, when the air changes, when the air mass has changed, the cold air gets pushed back by the warm air, you see a lot of tornadoes. And um, same thing in the fall. There's a, there's a secondary season in the fall when the cold fronts start coming down. So, you know, we don't have earthquakes here. Neither do we. So, you know, we're okay. Well, you guys, there was we that had, one that shipped Washington, D.C. a couple of years back. So. Yeah. I tell you, that was or the like, weirdest thing. I, I imagine it must have been. But I imagine it must have been. Anyway, we've, we've digressed quite a ways from woodworking. Yes, we have. But, again, you know, disaster, you know, can happen anywhere. So just be ready. Have a plan. Make sure you know your stuff. And, and from there, you can recover. There's somebody we don't want to recover, though, however. There's somebody we wish ill upon. Mm. Um, Shannon Rogers today discovered something online that um, that I think I want you to start off with, Yami, because yeah. it's very egregious. I'm going to introduce him as asshat, because that was the term that Shannon used. I think it's very appropriate. I'm using him. Quite frankly, I noticed this during this, this afternoon, as I'm sure you did, Tom, when, when Shannon pointed out to everybody on Twitter, and... Um, I have unfortunately not had the opportunity to do a thorough investigation of this uh, asshat, so I can't tell you anyone's actual name, but what we're referring to is a YouTube channel that's called Woodwork, two words, lowercase letters. And it's, I don't know, a couple dozen videos made by people we know who are not someone who work. Um, yes. There's some videos from Shannon. There's some videos from uh, Greg Paolini, some videos from... Um, from Fine Woodworking, some videos with Asa, some videos with Ed, um, some videos with Mario Rodriguez, some videos of Woodworkers Guild of America, and I'm blanking on, on his name, but um, these are all, and I'm sure I'm missing other ones. I'm Frankly, I'm looking at the thumbnails right now and just listing the people who I can tell you their name just by looking at them. And, you know, um, in, year, in years past, um, you know, similar sites have taken the Yankee Workshop. Um, they've taken Mark Spagnuolo's stuff. They've taken Matt Vanderlis stuff, and they, and they pirated that as well. And, you know, the thing is, if you've got a name out there, you're working your butt off. Yeah. Um, you know, you are, you know, the, the, the folks who put together videos, who, who, who regularly put out educational videos for woodworking, are busting their butts. In many cases, they aren't full-time woodworkers. In many no. cases, they are, they are doing this in the shop for the love of the craft, or they are doing this as professionals, and this is how they're feeding their families and making their mortgage payments. And let, let's just be a little clear about this. Beyond just, you know, taking the video sounds a bit vague. What, what, this is, what this account is doing is promoting the videos as their own on their own channel and monetizing on them. You know, they're, they're monetizing on their YouTube channel with pre-roll ads. Mm -hmm. So when the ad rolls before Shannon's video about making a toolbox... Shannon doesn't get the ad revenue he deserves, but the schmuck who's controlling the woodwork YouTube channel gets the video. Um, you know, it, 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 it's amazing to see just how brash and how just ballsy 
these folks can be. Um, you know, it's not just videos, it's, it's also plans. Um, anybody who's ever been on the internet knows of Ted's woodworking plans. I'm going to tell you this right now, folks. If you see anybody who says Ted's 16,000 woodworking plans, and you see a link to that, report it immediately to whomever controls that website because that is nothing but just flat out piracy. Um, you know, to, to, to steal somebody's content and then sell it is piracy. To, to, you know, just as if I had gone into your shop, the army, took your clamps and sold them and took the content and took the money, that's stealing. Yes. <laughs> Basically, what they're doing is they're taking the plans from magazines, from people who taking the time, the videos, the plans, the articles, and they're just taking them, they're putting them on a site with lots of links, so you click the stuff and you buy the stuff and they get paid, or they're selling the plans or, or, or the discs of the plans for, for profit. And their defense, and a defense is, well, they're just assembling them. They're still stealing. <laughs> now, I mean, I, really it comes down to this. If you, if you support it by buying, then you are just supporting theft, flat out. And that's just as wrong as wrong can be. The woodworking community is full of so many bright, intelligent, generous people who will do anything for another woodworker. <laughs> You know, and, you know, and seeing it in person, you know, seeing somebody who maybe has lost a shop, people donating to this person, and then to see somebody take advantage of that generosity just sucks. Yeah, and I think this, you know, I, I'm not going to beat too hard on here. I think everyone listening understands what's wrong with taking someone else's plans and monetizing on them or someone else's video or monetizing on them. Or there have been other cases where they've, you know, taken blog posts and promoted them as their own. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a subtle line here because... You know, we all are part of this community, and we should all be promoting and linking to each other's content. But the trick there is to make it clear that it's someone else's content. You know, um, I embed one of your YouTube videos. That's great. I'll say, look, here's Tom's video. Just last week, I embedded one of uh, David Picuto's videos in my blog post, um, saying it was his. And I don't know if he monetizes his YouTube channel or not, but it was the link from his channel. You know. Um, mm -hmm. That's what we do is we promote each other. We, we write about what we know and we, we sh link to the rest and we, um, that's part of the community. But what I see happen, what I, what I love about the community that I see happen around sites like this are Shannon tweeted about this, uh, this, again, asshat using his term, which is as accurate as any I could come up with. Um, there are a few synonyms that would do better. Yeah. <laughs> there, um, I think he tweeted about it late this morning. Um, and, just in the course of this afternoon and this evening, I've seen a couple dozen people come out in support and call this guy out and lodge complaints against him and all the things we should do as a community to support the people who, who are making content and condemn those who are stealing content. Mm -hmm. um, and you talk to anybody who's been in the community for any amount of time, and they all know Ted and his woodworking plans and how scummy that whole system is. So on the one hand, you know, we're calling a spade a spade and this is intolerable and none of us should support this. But on the other hand, I think it's wonderful to see how much support we oh, do see for those people who are being uh, being ripped off and how the community as a whole kind of circles the wagons around the people who have created the content and work to support them and to communally condemn those who are doing wrong. I mean, just, just to think, I mean, about how much knowledge uh, Steve Ramsey brings to the table, how much he shared. And he's, he's making money on this, and that's good for him because he deserves to. 
I mean, this is the kind of stuff where he's putting out product that's just, it's great. I mean, to, to look at what Shannon's doing and what Mark is doing and what, you know, just go down the list and to see what the magazines are doing. And it's just, you know, the reality is this, you know, go to the source, get your information from the source and understand that if, you know, these people are out there just stealing and, it, and it's just so low to drop to that level. But unfortunately, they're everywhere and they're hidden. And that's the thing. They, 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 they post these links. I remember well, there was just one on, um, on Facebook just the other day. It was one like, hey, summer's coming. Find some deck plans. And then you clicked on the link and sure enough, we'll ride back to Ted. <laughs> and it just, it's, it, you know, it's just, it's just so subtle and it's just so tweaked in there that you've got to really keep your eyes open and make sure you are getting the, getting it from the source and then actually benefiting the people who are designing it. Besides, how many, you know, do you really need like 87 dining room table plans? I mean, you will need one that's good. So go to find somebody that does a really good job developing plans yeah, and see what they've got. I would agree. Forgetting, forgetting the fact that they are stolen mm -hmm. <laughs> and you shouldn't support them for that reason. Just on the front of it, if there's 16,000 plans in a book, how can any of them be good? Seriously. I mean, and it's, and it's on a disc. Huh. And, you know, the right. funny thing was I'd written an article for Wood Magazine a couple years back about this. And, you know, the 16,000 plans is really only close to, like, seven. And probably 40% of them are duplicates. And then the, really just, like, a picture of a page in a book. And you're supposed to interpret from that what it is. You know, you can go to a library. Now, this is, this is really a foreign concept to a lot of folks. You can drive to a library and check out a book. Get out. And build a plan out of that. I, you know, if I really am interested in building something, I'll go to the building where they put the books called the library. And because of my library card, I can go in. That's my little license to go in and look at plans that have been purchased for the community use. And if I want to build something out of it, I can. If I see something online, I'm going to go right to the source and see if I need to buy that plan. I'm going to buy it from that originator. I'm not going to go through any backdoor thing to try to get it on a disc of 22,000 plants. That's just silly. I'm going to go right to the source because you know why? In the event that I have a question about that plan, I know who to email. I know who to yeah. email. So when you, you know, if I buy it from Popular Woodworking Magazine, I can email the editors over there and say, I'm not sure about this. What does this mean? You get that 16,000 plans, you're on your own. And well, really, it ends up being a doormat. You know, it ends up being a paperweight you put on your desk after a while. Absolutely, and I, but I think that's kind of a, almost that's that's almost a side point. I mean, yes, that's a benefit is of going to the actual person is you get to communicate with them. And I don't know a single woodworker, mm -hmm. professional or otherwise, who won't answer the question of the email. But even oh, sure. before you get to that point, it's just the right thing to do. You don't steal a plan from somebody. Of course, of course. and you know, just to, just to watch this this in action just makes me want to take a shower. I just I, I just I just can't understand. You know, and, and there's so many. And really, if you're that interested in making money in woodworking by creating plans, you can do it. I mean, you know, there, there's, there's, you know, you can do it. I mean, honestly. I'm sorry. You know, I was just, when you said if you're that interested in making money in woodworking, I thought you were going to company. No money here to be made. There's no money to be made here. But, you know, think about it. Say you design something. Say you design, I don't know, some ridiculous egar or, or doodad or whatever it is. You know. A lot of magazines will buy plans. So if you come mm. up with a brilliant plan for something, they'll buy it. Is it what if is it? Sawtooth. And you can put it up online. You can actually sell it. Doesn't um? Isn't that what Sawtooth Ideas does? Yeah, they do that. Yeah. And you look around these other sites. I mean, you can work with some of these other like you build it and all these other plans. If you have a good plan, you could you could market it. Just tell them, hey, look, 
here's a crazy idea for something. They might buy it. They may give you three, four hundred bucks for it if it's a good idea. Maybe you get a free tool out of it. But I mean, the idea that you're just going to rip people off, how do you sleep at night? How do you look yourself in the face in the mirror every day? I just can't understand. And you know, it's, it's, it's such a multi-level marketing thing. And I've seen videos where they go out to Ted's headquarters someplace and it's a really? non-existent address in some town. I've seen this happen on, on YouTube oh. and it's ridiculous. They're able to find the clip art that is Ted. Those kinds of videos. Collection. I mean, it's just scuzzy. It's just slimy. You know, I mean, there's nothing there, and it's and I know that all the magazines are working together to to get the cease and desist for a lot of the stuff. Whenever they see it pop up, they have to go after it. Now they're spending their time chasing down people who are violating the copyright instead of designing more woodworking plants. You know what I'm saying? It's ridiculous. It's a waste of energy. Absolutely. And you know, that's I mean, that's energy that can be better spent woodworking. And if you're new to the woodworking community, if you've never really been out there and met folks, go to your local guild meeting, find out how cool woodworkers are, and find out how awesome they are to each other. Find out how much they want to help each other out. You'd be surprised that people will do this. And it, it, it's, it's this community, and that's the only word you can use to describe it. It's real community. And we look out for each other. And that's, you know, that's part of the reason why when Shannon posted that, the explosion of comments on YouTube was right there. Because we all stand by each other. Because you know we're we're we're, we're a community, and we we do it for each other. Absolutely. My goodness, I'm feeling all soap opery today. <laughs> so boxy, you know. That's what I feel like. Um, you know, without Chris, I mean, we could talk a lot more because you know Chris isn't here. He usually throws in his comments every so often. We get a little bit more going. And since I was born across the Hudson, and you were on the other side, you know, we got this simpatico thing going. Yeah, on I think we go with that. Here. It starts to happen like that. What, what's wrong with you people? Come on, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, so what are you thinking, Diami? I mean, we're 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 closing in here. We're about what half an hour in. What, yeah. what do we got? What else we got? Shit, you put me on the spot. I thought we were gonna wrap this thing up. Um, well, let's well, let's wrap it up. Well, I'm thinking. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell people you, have to listen to us go on and on like this. Next time we start talking about pizzerias or something like that. I, I would just let let me let me bring in one other topic. Just how uh. How far between spectrums of woodworking do you go? Uh, I, what I mean by is, I'll use myself as an example. You know, I just finished that quilt rack, which was one of the most intense things I've built. Mm -hmm. And on Saturday, in one day, I'm planning, maybe not successfully, but planning to knock out um, a picnic table and a planter tray of some sort from my mom. They're both outdoor projects. Okay. There's no real joinery in both of them. One's going to be pocket screws. One's going to be bolts. Um, there's they're the you know they're much closer to carpentry than fine woodworking. Sure. And the quilt rack was the extreme end of fine woodworking, at least exactly. for me. Um, and I think I tend to be more in the woodworking camp, but I occasionally swing the other way. Um, and actually, we were talking about Kashana before. He's been renovating a shop, and he's made a couple comments about how liberating it is to not have to meet tolerances when I'm hanging the wall. And I'm saying, Shannon, if you've got gaps that are really that big, you're not doing it quite right. You you do need them to fit. But that being said, I understand the point. But there are shims. Um, there, yes, are there are shims. So, you know. There's a reason why shims are sold in bulk, okay? Do, do you tend to find that, you know, if things are in your shop, Tom, do they have to meet some minimum build type? No. I don't even want to use the word standard. No, no. no. Listen, listen to this. I mean, I've built projects that have taken a long time to build. Um, you know, like the like the uh, the the, uh, uh, the hope chests from Anisus. Yeah. And actually, I've got one coming up March next year. I got to start thinking about. <laughs> um, 
but you know, then that's that's a fee, that's a piece I know I'm going to invest myself in. I know I'm going to be looking for the right grain pattern. I'm going to be looking for the right piece of wood to go in there. I'm going to be really trying to get airtight joints. I'm, but you know what? I mean, there are sometimes I do want to knock something out. And I found sometimes that, especially during the summer when it's really hot out here, the air conditioner chugs along and does an okay job. But there's oh, sometimes man. you just need that fix. I got to go out and build something. And I will come out to the shop and I will knock out the simplest projects, um, like a little wine glass holder that goes on the top bottom. You can put two uh, wine glasses into. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just something simple because you know why? You got to get that. You got to get the sawdust in the air. You got to get the wood out. You got to clean it. Get a look at it. Um, the past couple of years, I've tried to build big projects in the summer. It didn't really work that well. But, you know, to be able to just walk out and do something quick, um, you know, that needs, and, you know, the funny thing is usually somebody comes up to you and says, can you do it for me? And you're like, of course. Um, today, somebody at work asked me if I could build him a set piece because he's doing some community theater. And he oh, wants cool. me to actually give him a hand building some set pieces. I'm like, sure, why not? I'm between projects right now. So I've got the space. I've got the time. You know, once hurricane season begins and I go back to a more normal work schedule. Um, but again, you know, it's the kind of thing where if I can do it and it can knock it out and makes him happy and it makes the people in his play happy, that's, that's great for me. So I'll hmm. jump back and forth between the two of them. I mean, you know, I can guarantee when December rolls around, I'm going to be putting a lot of time into that hope chest to get that done in time for March. So I know that it's done right. I've got it. It's going to be a nice. Right. Time. No, and there are definitely some projects you'd be foolish not to put everything you have into. Yeah. Um, but I just, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to scale these back so much just because I want to break from spending weeks and weeks on a single project, um, or it could be that they're projects that don't particularly interest me and I just want them done, or um, or just that they don't necessarily merit it. You know, I could I could spend a morning building a picnic table, or I could spend a month building a picnic table, and I'm of not course. sure that at the end of the day, the month-long picnic table is going to last all that much longer, be that much more functional. I don't know what that extra time brings in a project like that. It's a utilitarian project. As long as it holds people, it holds food, and it doesn't give splinters, what else does it have to do? You know, I mean, but that, but, but by definition, any table should meet that. Oh, any that's true. Any that's table true. should meet that definition. Whether you're building a trestle table out of gorgeous curly cherry, or if you're banging something together out of pressure treated pine in the backyard, they both have to meet the same requirements. It's just that one's going to be I in would, a different situation. Yeah, and that's absolutely part of it. And I think. At some point, something pretty can certainly be in the backyard, whereas if it's going to go in the dining room, I would say it needs to be pretty, yeah, too, whatever your standard quality. of pretty is. You know, it's um, the kind of thing that's got to but, be a quality balance, yeah. Right, but the thing is, you know, if I'm making a kitchen table or a dining room table, I would expect it to at least be passed on to my kids, if not their kids. That would oh, be the sure. goal. Who's to say how long it actually lasts? But that would be the goal, whereas the picnic table... It lasts, I don't know, six, seven years. It's gonna rot out, you know. Like I know it's not a permanent item. It's never gonna get passed on to people. It's gonna get thrown out while I'm still living here in the house using it. So just on that regard, as long as it, as long as my joinery lasts, as long as the rot does, I'm in good shape. Yeah, and you know, it just comes, it just comes down to what the purpose is. If you're building with the idea in mind that you're building an heirloom, you're gonna invest that time. If you're building to meet a need, sometimes. You know, when it can be outside, it can be a little rougher. You know, it depends how much you want to put into it. I've seen people, believe me, I've seen people sweat details on picnic tables. Yeah, where well, they put sure. two months in and it's, everything's cut to specific and scribed. And yeah, that's great. More power to you. But if you're building an antique, you want to do that. If you're building out of pressure-treated pine, more power you to don't. you if you want it. 
Develop your skills. If that's where you want to be with it, then develop your skills. Put a handcuffed up tail, some pressure treaty fine, by all means do it. Whatever makes you happy. Hey, you know who am I to judge? I, I've done handcuffed dovetails at OSB. You ha I have seen them. Yes. And they were beautiful. Weren't they? They were things of beauty. Holy smokes. You're reminding me now of all the things you've done that are a little cuckoo, okay? So. <laughs> well, you, you, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole for two seconds, and we're going to wrap this up. But Okay. Um, my bench is – well, my bench didn't get instantly spurred along by a trip to Germany like Steve Taylor's did. So my bench is just as disassembled as his was a month ago. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I'm doing because um, I'm easily turned on by peer pressure oh, sure. is I'm going to attempt to build my bench entirely out of man-made materials. Um, okay. Yeah, we're going to see how that goes. I think it's going to be all right, but we'll see how that goes. But one of the biggest issues I've had is years ago when I decided I was going to build the bench and then put it all on hold. But in that first phase of building the bench, I kind of took a Lee Valley vice of some sort and took it to a machinist I knew and had a had a hand wheel put on it and had it remachined a little bit so I can make it into um into a leg vice. Sure. Um but I need to make the handle, the little wooden handle that goes on the wheel to turn for the for the mm -hmm. vice. I wanted to turn that handle out of um out of OSB because it's all man made stuff. Well, Mark Hotstein was nice enough to volunteer to try it for me, and I've not yet been at the point where I need it, so he's not done it yet, but I can always send him a block of timber strand, and he's going to try <laughs> to turn it for me. But here's the thought, is recently Fine Woodworking had an article by uh, Christian Bexfort about how to make handles, like, like drawer pulls, on the drill press using rasps instead of making them on the lathe. Okay. It's a really interesting... Really interesting uh, article. And is it Brian Grella from Garage Woodworks? I think so. Yeah, Brian. So yeah, Brian, yeah. Brian, last weekend, I think it was maybe it was two weeks ago, but recently Brian tried the same technique. And again, we're talking about you know giving credit where it's due. Brian was very upfront about he was doing the fine woodworking technique, and he shot his own video about it, mentioning fine woodworking, and you know covered all the bases, didn't steal any of the ideas, but did his own demonstration and his own take on the method, and talked about how he basically fell in love with it and thinks it's a fantastic method to make draw pulls. Now, I don't really have a need for shaker style draw pulls, but it dawned on me that this would probably be a better way to turn OSB using rasps in a drill press than using gouges in a lathe. So that kind of brought me back to my workbench, and I, I watched Brian's video thinking to myself, I could use this to make my workbench knob. Okay. I was. Okay. When are we going to attempt this? I don't know. See, here's the thing is I've got – certainly I have my list of things I need to do. Once I finish yeah. – once I knock out these, these two tables, I actually have to get back to the treehouse. The treehouse still needs work. Yeah, yeah, it needs a roof and some paint and railings Holy and a door. Holy smokes! You, uh, um, you, 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 this, this treehouse. Um, the kids are going to be out of college by the time this is done. It'll still be there. <laughs> you're right. It still will be there. It'll um, be the place, play place for the grandkids. Yeah, come yeah. on. Well, but so in the it's probably going to be fall by the time I get back into a project that I really want to do because mm -hmm. of the treehouse and other stuff that goes on during the summer and whatnot. Um, but I'm not sure if my next project for me is going to be a workbench or a chair. And I have a funny feeling it's going to be a chair. 
Yeah, you know, it's one of those things in the army where you know you need the workbench, but you gotta put it. You're gonna put it off forever. I probably am. Yeah, I've yeah. got all the lumber floor in my attic. I've got, you know, I'm. I, I just need to build it. I'm at the point where I've got everything I need. I just have to you actually know, the stop army, and build it. I can be up there with a trailer full of southern yellow pine. We'll bang together a uh, Nicholson for you. You'll be sick. You'll be well, good to go. Here's the here's the deal, Tom. I'll I'll take you <laughs> up take on that. Six hours. We'll get some of that good famous <laughs> Long Island barbecue after that. <laughs> could could you believe they closed? Oh no. Where am I gonna get this yeah. stuff? <laughs> well they they ha they happen to have another branch like like a half hour away that's still on Long Island. But that, that one that was so close to me that we used to go to all the time closed. I was actually I was taking Ed Pernick from Fine Woodworking out to lunch and I I was gonna take him there and we get there and it's not it's closed. It's a different restaurant. We ended up going in anyway and oh, we had awful. it was some sort of like it was like um hipster Mexican food is what they had. Which it was okay, but it wasn't what I was expecting. We need Long Island barbecue. Come on. Yeah. But anyway, if you throw that Southern Yellow Pine on a trailer and schlep it up here, here's what we'll do. It will set up in the driveway, and you'll build the Nicholson. I'll build my clock workbench, and we'll just build them side by side as a group build. And we'll have we'll have Google Plus try to actually put it up on the live yeah. broadcast. So yeah, we can put it into it that eight-hour live broadcast. Oh, well, there'll be a lot of cursing, I can guarantee. You're going to have to beep every bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that being said, Diami, it sounds like some sort of challenge coming up sometime. We'll have to do it when it's daylight and it's warm in Long Island. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm thinking maybe just after hurricane season. Yeah, yeah, serious. We'll have to find that time. But anyway, that about wraps it up for this show. If you're missing us already, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Once you're subscribed, you'll be sure to never miss another exciting episode. And while you're on iTunes, please leave us a five-star rating, even if you don't think we deserve one, because it'll help our rank so others can more easily find us. And if you want to find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, be sure to visit modernwoodworkersassociation.com, follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national, like the MWA on Facebook, or circle the Modern Woodworkers Association on Google+. Plus. And be circling the dream, I'll tell you that much. Just today, as I was setting up for this Hangout, I updated the MWA Google Plus URL, so now we can be found at, uh, at googleplus.com, uh, no, google.com forward slash plus Modern Woodworkers Association, which is awfully easy to say. Yeah, it's, it's just a mouthful. It just flows trippingly off the tongue. Or just go to Google Plus and look for a modern, search for Modern Woodworkers Association. <laughs> While you're there, you can join the MWA community, which does actually technically work very easily and effectively. And, uh, and we, we're constantly having a conversation there. So I would ask you to join us um, for project sharing, discussion, and loads of woodworking banter. Banter. And since so, he's not here, can I say his line? Only if you're him. Okay. I'm Chris Atkins of HighRockWoodworking.com and at HighRockWW on the Twitters. <laughs> He's going to drive to Tampa and beat my ass. <laughs> and, uh, so, excuse me. I'm Diami Plotke of PenultimateWoodshop.com. I am at Diami Plotke on the Twitters. And, uh, and who are you, Tom? Oh, by the way, I'm the resident shop monkey, Tom Iovino of Tom'sWorkbench.com and at Tom's Workbench on Twitter. Until we see you next time, we wish you happy sawdust. I'm going to be sleeping with one eye open. <laughs>